Hello and welcome to Me Too. Thank you for listening. My name is Naveen and this is our first episode of the new season. Me Too Monologues is an annual show about identity, entirely written, performed, and produced by members of the Duke community. Students, alumni, and faculty anonymously submit stories about their life experiences and peers perform the monologues in a theatrical production. This spring will mark the 10th anniversary of the first Me Too Monologues production. While our show on campus is in February, this podcast is a way to continue the conversations raised by monologues seen in one of our previous shows. In each episode, we'll start with a performance of a monologue, followed by a conversation about themes of the piece with the actor, students involved, and organizations relating to the content, and or other community members. Today, we have Duke University sophomore Multi Oliver performing the monologue, I Am Duke. After this piece, I'll be sitting down with our executive producer, Annie, and theatrical directors, Viv and Betsy. As this is the first monologue of the season, in addition to discussing the piece, we'll also talk about Me Too monologues as a whole. We will discuss what exactly Me Too is, how it came to be, and the impact it has on campus. Before we begin, we want to note that Me Too monologues is not affiliated with the hashtag Me Too movement. And now, here is Multi performing I Am Duke. She looked at me, with her blue eyes suddenly gray, and she spoke four words that echo in my head. A steady heartbeat to accompany my daily duties, a pulsing drumbeat to my daily soundtrack. Four words that no matter what, I just can't shake. Four words that burn, and four words that, when seemingly forgotten, creep up behind me. I'm good at this. I'm good at this. I'm good at this. Every day I pick apart those four words and I wonder at their meanings. This is cancer, and this is survival. This isn't frivolous pastimes or homework assignments or trivial hobbies like skiing or rock climbing or knitting. No, this is living. This is the absence of dying. This is the flat-out rejection of death. It is looking death in the face and saying, not today or tomorrow, because I'm good at this. How can you be good at that? How can you be good at something so out of your control? I sometimes wonder if my mother said these four words to convince me or to convince herself. I wondered about the smallest word in that seemingly innocuous sentence. I. Could I be as good as my mother at something so much simpler? An existence not so riddled with worry or pain, just being a 20-something at Duke? Duke is distracting. At Duke, I am not who I am at home. I am a shell of the thoughts and feelings that make up who I am. I am the frivolous homework assignments and meaningless hobbies and the next midterm and the next brunch at Monuts. What has Duke made me if not a collection of distractions? Of formulas and theories, a composition meant to make me the next great consultant or financier. My mom's cancer made it clear that Duke has taken something away. I'm not a daughter anymore. Freshman me wasn't Duke yet, 
Freshman me called home every Friday and told my family I loved them. Freshman me hadn't forgotten the people who helped me get where I am today. Freshman me never missed an afternoon call home and never hung up for a meeting or a random dinner or some other distraction. Freshman me called about more than money or questions about my tax forms or advice about my car's broken AC. Duke is distracting. Duke is full of shiny things that pull my attention every which way until I wonder if I'm focusing on anything at all or if I even can anymore. Suddenly the day is gone and I wonder if I really, truly, actually did something. Am I good at this? I'm not sure. The days pass and I wonder what I'm working for and if I do those meaningless homework assignments for me or for the person who receives them. Junior me was so clearly Duke. Overextended and underwhelming, I gave a little bit to everything, drank a little too much, woke up and did it again. I did it with a smile on my face and watched as friends struggled with failed classes and breakups and deaths of loved ones, and we all drank a little too much and we did it again because we were Duke and that's what Duke did. Duke distracted us. And junior me went home and found out news that would have broken freshman me. News that my mother was ill. The kind of ill you don't come back from. The kind of cancer they don't even make an awareness day for because there aren't enough survivors to be aware of. Duke distracted me, yes. It made me numb to home and it blurred the faces of the people I loved because that's what Duke makes people. It makes them conquer adversity with grit and persevere through each and every challenge because that makes a good essay, a good talking point for the next interview. It made me somebody I knew I wouldn't be proud to look at in the mirror, so I just refused to look. Duke taught me how to do that. A summer away from Duke and its distractions edged me closer to that mirror. A best friend who listened to me gave me the strength and confidence to turn my head, to peer back at that mirror and look again. Senior me wonders if I am Duke or if I am me. I've tried to become a daughter again. I urge myself to think about the things that hurt sometimes and let them hurt because I am human and I am not Duke. Looking at myself though, and allowing myself to look back has given me the courage to ask myself these questions and come to my own realizations, and most importantly, to try and be better. I realized that when I am Duke, I am good at this, because I'm good at everything. I'm good at school and socializing and exercising daily and going out and eating well and going to office hours. And most importantly, I'm good at balance. And if I weren't good at one of these things, today I would be tomorrow because I'm Duke and I'm a quick learner. And of course, I also have plenty of time to learn. But when I'm me, I fail sometimes. I'm not good at everything, and there are some things I'll never be good at. I run out of time, and I miss a gym session now and then, and I get into meaningless arguments with the people I love most because I didn't sleep enough last night, 
when I'm me, I'm also honest and loyal and a friend, a human being, a daughter. When I'm me, I look in the mirror and see myself for what I am. Someone who isn't always good at this, but is doing her best. I'm now here with Betsy, Vivian, and Annie, and we're going to reflect on that piece. What did you all think, and how are you feeling after hearing that? So for me, uh, recently, for one of my classes, we were given a prompt to write what our most amazing last semester at Duke would look like. I'm a second semester senior. (laughs) So um, it's really crazy, that paragraph when she says, you know, that at Duke, we have to be the best at everything. We go to all of our club meetings. We are on top of our classes. We go to the gym every day. And surprisingly, like, I'm realizing that my response to that prompt was basically, I want everything in my life, every aspect, my social, my academic, my extracurricular, to go as swimmingly as possible and for me to do the most in all of that. And so this piece just made me catch myself and think about that for a second. For me, Duke is such a high-speed, busy environment, and I think that's something we can all recognize and that it's commonplace here. But last semester, I was one of the few on-campus juniors that weren't abroad. And because of that, it left a lot of time that I wasn't distracted. Like they mentioned in this piece, like I didn't have as much time to place my attention elsewhere. I definitely did more soul searching than I have in a long time. And since I've ever been on campus, which, you know, can be difficult, but I think ultimately it's something we all need to do, but we rarely ever get to on this campus. For sure. For me, the passage that struck me most is the passage where it says friends dealing with breakups and the loss of loved ones and all these really difficult life situations. And there's the line about all persevered through it with grit and perseverance because that's what Duke does. And I think recently, just like with my own life struggles and also with the struggles of my friends, it's this interesting thing that happens where when things are really hard in my personal life and other people's personal lives, I think we all kind of find ourselves like craving almost like the pain of it because we all have been doing this process of detaching ourselves so much in order to sustain this lifestyle that we have at Duke. And I think it's a really unnatural feeling because you feel detached from yourself and from the parts of your life that make you feel the most human even though they hurt the most and so that line always gets me because it just captures the feeling of like how much distancing and how much compartmentalization and detaching that you do that you're not even aware of until something really awful and painful happens and you can't even feel like you can access that. I definitely agree. Um, This was one of the pieces last year that resonated the most with me. It felt very personal to me so how do you think that this piece resonated with the rest of the Duke community last year when performed? I think the fact that all four of us had such um, deep personal connections to this piece just speaks to how much it spoke to everyone else too. I think this is something that literally every single person can relate to to some degree. Maybe you don't have a parent who you know specifically struggled with cancer but you do feel the pressures of Duke 
along with the other struggles in your own life. I also think the last line is very, it captures how I feel about this, but just the last line of it ending on the note of like, I'm trying my best. I think that that's a sentiment that everyone can really relate to. Mm -hmm. Cause I think at the end of the day, everyone is really trying their best. And there was even, you could see vocal and physical reactions to people in the audience. Like, of course there were kind of those buzzword lines, you know, like the next great consultant or financier that <laughs> everyone laughed at. But you could also, I, I remember, cause one of my favorite things to do as a member of the production team is to look at the reactions of the audience yeah. during the show. And like, it's like, do they react the same way I do? Are they touched? And they really were during this piece. And that I mean, that's one of the wonderful parts of Me Too, being able to see that community around you and that they're snapping at things that you're snapping at too. Definitely. Finding those, those threads that connect us that may be seemingly hidden. Definitely. Going off of that, what do you feel like the main takeaway of this piece was? What was the intent of the author? And if you had to sum it up in one sentence to give to people to put in their pocket as a takeaway what would it be? I think I could summarize the takeaway with lines from the piece that you don't always have to be good at this. You just have to be your best. Definitely. I would say I really second that. And I would also say, like, prioritize the things that are really important to you consciously and with intention every day in your life. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get a, into a little bit more of how you all got involved with Me Too and what your role is this year. So, uh, Betsy and Viv, um, how did you get involved with Me Too and what is your role this year as part of theatrical directors of the show? We have a pretty similar story of how we got involved in Me Too, just it happened at separate times. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I first saw Me Too when we used to do, uh, or we did it this year too, um, so the coffee house show during a week. I went because some of my P arts friends had, were going and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Being a freshman thrown into a week, that was the most real thing I had seen all <laughs> week yeah. at, during my entire existence at Duke. Mm -hmm. So I just thought I need to be a part of this. This combines like my love for public speaking and performance with something that actually truly matters. So I uh, auditioned my freshman year, did a monologue. That was a very touching experience for me. I got to meet the author of my monologue and we actually became friends and her story really touched me, even though I could not have imagined that in any capacity in my own life. And I think that just shows how Me Too can form bridges between people who have very different lives. And then sophomore year, I was a substitute um, <laughs> it was I, I care so much about me too and even though I wasn't involved officially I was um, very willing to help out when needed and then you memorized um, a piece in like three days <laughs> like, like a full-on piece yeah and junior year I decided to get more involved and uh, become part of the exec team and I started doing pub and now this year I'm back to the theatrical <laughs> part of it and Exciting. I am co-directing with Betsy and we're mainly just giving actors direction. A lot of our speakers have never performed or spoken in front of large audiences before, so it's just little things here and there, any kind of like expertise we can give to them, we do. But I think it's also just 
crafting a coherent vision for Mm -hmm. the production. And I think I would just add um, to what we've been doing is that, you know, we tell people what to do as directors. That's kind of in the title. But also, I think a lot of our job is being a close reader. Like, I've really found that in rehearsals, really working with the texts and finding those nuances and then working collaboratively between us and with the actors as well and finding, you know, the in the translation of putting these pieces on stage, like what are they comfortable with, what sits well in their body and their voice. And that's been a really cool learning process more than anything else, like how to communicate, Mm -hmm. like, you know, our vision to the actors. But, okay, so my Me Too story is quite similar. (laughs) In telling your narrative about that, I was like, wow, we're actually, like, so similar because I met the author of my piece my freshman year, too. I just heard about the concept of the show and wanted to be a part of it. And my freshman year was a fairly rough year at Duke. And, like, Me Too was the first time that I think I sort of found peace on campus. And because of that, it's just remained a very special part of my Duke experience. And so being a part of the production team, I've just wanted to keep it part of my life here because I think it's a, such a necessary niche and on this campus. And being part of it is such a privilege and an honor, really. I also want to add that I think uh, theatrical the two of us plus multi, we're the link between the rest of exec and the cast. Um, Those two kind of function separately, but exec is such an integral part of the production. At the beginning of the year, just to give some insight to our listeners about how the process works, exec comes together and we deliberate every single submission that we get and talk about the consequences of putting this in our show and creating this coherent piece of art that we want to put out there and we as theatrical directors just make sure the actors are in line with that vision. Mm -hmm. I also want to add that what I see as an additional part of y'all's role is when the writers submit their stories they're submitting this like precious piece of themselves and it takes so much courage to be able to do that and so super important part of our work as an exec team is how do we take care of these stories Mm -hmm. and treat them with as much integrity and respect as they truly deserve. Mm -hmm. And I just see that as something that you guys are always thinking about and working with the actors to do. So I think that, like, in order for the translation from, like, on the page to the stage, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that rhymed, (laughs) but from the page to the stage, really to happen in the most, like, respectful, intentional way, I just see that you guys as such an important part in that. Yeah, definitely going off of that, how has it been kind of being the translator from page to stage and like trying to keep the integrity of the piece? What has that process been like as heads of theatrical? Keeps me up at night. (laughs) (laughs) We do it as best as we can and we know we're not perfect and Mm -hmm. we're constantly uh, reworking lines or reworking the way an actor does things because at the end of the day, we honestly don't know the author. Exactly, yeah. We can't Mm -hmm. assume anything we're doing our best mm-hmm. yeah oh like the piece <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like full circle. yes so now on to annie our lovely producer Classic. how did you get involved with me too and what is your job as producer this year well i'll definitely echo what betsy and viv said about the feeling that they had when they saw me too for the first time and i think for me it was the first time that at duke that i had felt any kind of 
tangible community. Like Mm -hmm. that was the first time where I was like, there's a community here and I'm part of it. And so I think that just got me hooked. I was hooked on like that communal sense of vulnerability and courage and compassion. So I wanted to get involved. So I applied for exec, (laughs) not an actor. (laughs) And I was a co-producer with Sonali last year. And then this year I... I'm producing with my fantastic assistant producers, Divya and Alison. And our role, I would say, is just to kind of make sure that, like, the production side of the art goes smoothly. So just making sure that all of the different teams, so from podcast to theatrical, they can focus on their specific roles and we can take care of all the logistics. So, um, for example, we do a lot of fundraising for our posters and our publicity efforts, we kind of just coordinate everything, make sure everyone is where they need to be. And Headline monitors. <laughs> one, one could say. Um, we don't have jackets, but... Um, <laughs> she get on it. <laughs> we, we also... Um, yeah, I mean, we're also involved in the decision-making process with the cast. We're in auditions. We are, yeah, reviewing submissions and helping shape the show. I think that's something really important to emphasize that every single member of our 11 person 10 person team 11 11 is part of the reviewing submissions process cuz we try as hard as possible to have at least a representative sample to represent to our population and to really try and amplify all sects of our community mm-hmm. and so having all of us involved in that process is integral to that definitely so how do, do you I do anything else? <laughs> she does everything. She makes yeah. sure the show happens. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> would just be wandering around outside uh, yeah. East Duke. Without- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's Nelson? Yeah. <laughs> I communicate with Nelson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. Too. We can't yeah. put that in. Without, <laughs> without uh, our producers, the show couldn't take place because the actors wouldn't have rehearsal space Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have meeting spaces we Mm -hmm. wouldn't have the logistics and the schedule to make everything run smoothly Mm -hmm. like we have to remember that me too is we have our podcast team we have theatrical we have Mm -hmm. uh, production but we have 18 (laughs) cast members and that's just a lot of moving pieces that Mm -hmm. production makes sure fits into the puzzle Mm -hmm. had you ever produced before i was this your first time jumping into the job. I had not produced before. <laughs> I just jumped right in. I mean, I think that I'd like led groups before and done like logistics before. So, but it was definitely a new, like a new task mm-hmm. trying to hopefully help lead, co-lead a group of people. Like that's trying to do this specific work. Definitely. So learning curve for that, but. <laughs> so, um, if you all could just tell me a little bit about what exactly is Me Too, if you had to sum it up for someone who maybe had never heard of our organization or what we do, what would you tell them it's all about? I think for me, so I have two thoughts. My first is that I see Me Too as an organism, as this giant exercise in empathy mm-hmm. that's happening on so many levels and on levels that we probably will never know about. So, for example, So it starts with the writers that have to exercise so much empathy to themselves Mm -hmm. to take the time to sit down and write. 
And then they submit it, and then we sit, our whole exec team together sits and reads all of these and discusses them, and we're showing empathy in that because we're really trying to understand the author and their lives and their intentions. And then we give these pieces to the actors, and the actors sit with these pieces for like a couple months, and they really try and work so hard to understand where the author is coming from. And then we put these pieces on the stage and like 300 people sitting in Nelson trying really hard to understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is such a special, rare occurrence, Mm -hmm. especially at a community where people have a lot of priorities, right? Like life is really busy and it's so hard to find time to really genuinely try to listen to someone and understand where they're coming from. Secondly, a certain aspect of Me Too is like the truth aspect. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I think what's amazing is that like the actors are trying to write something true to them and their lives. Mm -hmm. And then we put it on the stage and it's people trying to speak truth. And then there's people trying to hear these truths. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just such like a special like raw thing Mm -hmm. for me. And that might be where I am in my own personal life. But for some reason, that's just really become this like overwhelming sense that whenever I'm like sitting down to do something or like when I think about what the show is going to be like, I'm just like, it's just going to be people trying to like speak and hear something true. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really special, both on a college campus and in life. Definitely. I think you could picture me too as the anonymous suggestions box of Duke. (laughs) (laughs) But instead of suggestions, it's really just anything that someone wants to say or message to be heard. That being said, me too functions not to encapsulate every voice mm-hmm. on this campus we only put out what we are given mm-hmm. um and i think that's very important mm-hmm. to keep in mind you're not any kind of savior or i don't know better person for going to me too but you are you're opening up your ears to someone else and i think like at the fundamental level like that's something that we're lacking more and more Mm -hmm. as we can see Mm -hmm. in the political climate and it's just important to um, yeah have around for me I think if we even wanted to relate it back to the piece of this episode like for me it's a place to slow down at every stage of the process you really have to slow Mm -hmm. down and reflect what is in front of you what you're reading what you're performing or what you're listening to. And I don't think there's a lot of spaces like that on this campus. And so I think really broadly, that's what we act as. Definitely. From everything you all said, I feel like Me Too can really be encapsulated in the word honesty. It's a place to to come and hear these honest stories and to be honest with yourself. And as Viv said, not necessarily leave a better person, but you know, use it as a stepping stone to bettering yourself and this campus and the world in general. So thank you all for being here so much. It's been a great conversation. Yep. As always, thank you. Come see the show. We love you, Naveen. We love you, Naveen. (laughs) Thank you you to our listeners. (laughs) And we'll see you next time on All Things Considered. Well, thank you again, Annie, Betsy, and Viv, for being on the show and discussing the piece. As always, please share your own stories through our website, which can be found at metoomonologues.org. 
We're on the iTunes store, and we would love if you left us a review. Let us know what you think.